Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Stop selling and start helping. This is one of the tips from Amir Ryder, the CEO of CloudTask. If you aren't helping solve a problem, you're going to have a tough time in business. As Amir shares, the mission of CloudTask is to help 10,000 businesses transition to the right cloud software which means their teams will get work done faster, better, and cheaper so that they have more opportunity to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Amir and I cover a number of topics and cover his thoughts on things like why the word outsourcing has been stigmatized, why the terms inbound and outbound are becoming irrelevant, why it's hard to put customer first if growth rate is your top metric and why you probably don't need more SDRs. We also talk about why you need to focus on the data versus just hiring more people and much more. So take a listen to the authentic, real, and hard-hitting discussion with Amir. So super excited to be here today with Amir Ryder, the CEO at CloudTask. Um, So welcome, Amir, and thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Pleasure being here. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about CloudTask? Sure. Yeah. My, uh, you know, CloudTask is, is a B2B lead generation company, right? I think a lot of people forget that Facebook and uh, are some business, and, and we, we help uh, find good fit prospects, book sales, qualified meetings, and increase revenue. Um, and ultimately, you know, our mission is to help, you know, 10,000 plus businesses get work done better, faster, cheaper from anywhere. And that has a lot to do with our focus that is solely on companies that are in the digital transformation space. And you, you find a common a common theme with technology where it's uh, you know, more efficient, faster, and cheaper. So uh, we look for painkillers and we look for products that really help people with a new modern lifestyle. And, and we, we help you know, the future customers of our, of our clients succeed. That's great. That's great. And I think we'll dive a little bit more into sort of the company and some of the things that you're doing there as we go through um, the discussion, but just wanted to give sort of a high level for folks who maybe aren't familiar yet with CloudTask. So let's talk a little bit about your career journey. You know, you've been in a number of different revenue roles at companies like Drift, at HubSpot, you know, at NetSuite, and looks like at Major Robotics and more. So maybe can you talk a little bit about your career journey, you know, prior to CloudTask? Yeah, I, I, my, my career journey prior to CloudTask began with me wanting to get into medical device because I studied pre-med, but kind of always knew that I was not going to stay in school till 31, <laughs> only to successfully be stuck in an office or hospital because that's my nightmare. Uh, and, then, and then on that journey, you know, I just became an entrepreneur at 23, a water service company that I had built and sold, uh, and then kind of parlayed that into an office supply company. Um, that I also sold. And then from that point, I, I decided that, hey, um, you know, my my industries were not really matching up with people I wanted to speak to, right? I, I was selling supplies and water. It just wasn't really transformative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, I kind of pivoted into um, my, my first corporate gig, which was 
which was actually surgical robotics. And guess what? Surgical robotics was more efficient and faster, right? Uh, cheaper probably as well, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that commonality, uh, helping neurosurgeons, you know, perform precise spine surgery, which was, which was exciting. And then uh, from there, I worked with a company called NetSuite, which you named it, was also helping companies do things faster and more efficient uh, in the cloud. And uh, from that point on, I kind of saw some of the problems that are now magnified with just the, the workforce in general and the concept that, you know, work produce results versus the process producing results and, and just kind of seeing that like the way that companies were evolving to be more efficient, faster and cheaper, they were also kind of not doing that themselves, right? They were still growing in a very slow, expensive way. Uh, so almost kind of bringing to them what they would bring to other people um, and, and, and kind of went live with the uh, podcast back in 2016. Got it. Got it. So when you started, um, when you started at CloudTask, you know, like you said, 2016, so it's been about five years, a little over five years. You shared a little bit about sort of the vision of kind of what you were trying to do, right, around doing things more efficiently and doing things faster. What was sort of the, I guess, was there anything else that you might share around sort of the vision for the company? And, you know, how has that changed over the five years? So that's a great question. It, it definitely changed dramatically. I'm like, you know, focus and being the best at something is definitely the the, the one answer that what sticks up sticks out to immediately, right? And it's it's you know we were we were offering mm-hmm. um, we we were offering customer support, uh, customer success, and sales. You know, uh, looking at the opportunity to hey, say hey, we can we can handle a customer full cycle, and um, you know after several years we we really actually decided that, A, the word outsourcing was a horrible word. Um, and it really, 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 it's <laughs> ironic, right? Because the billion dollar companies produce yeah. billions of dollars um, with outsourcing and with working with multiple outsourcing. But there was this gap where, you know, every company that's smaller than a billion dollar company was like, no, I want to outsource, even if their own product was outsourcing. And it was ironic, right? Because SaaS, software as a service, is basically like, hey, I already have the software built. You don't need to build it internally. You can rent it from me, right? Um, but, but because of the way that outsourcing was stigmatized mm-hmm. by politics, primarily the concept of like, hey, I'm sending jobs over to you know the, the offshore world, um, it, it, it just really hurt a lot of our customers and partners almost mentally. It is, the concept was a little bit too much for them at the at the mid and small uh, company size, not at the large. Um, you know, large companies are, are they are working with multiple billion dollar call centers, a very big industry. Um, so kind of transformed, you know, and said, hey, you know what? Uh, when it comes down to when it comes down to let's say customer support and and other things like time time matters, right? Like you, maybe you want somebody on a live chat for eight hours a day, and maybe that's a staffing solution, right? There needs to be people there. But with revenue, people really do not care about time. They they quantify time because they consider that if a person is working four hours a week, they, they can't produce results. But with all the explosion of tools and data, we kind of really looked at revenue as more of a performance thing versus a time thing. Uh, and that was a big change that we did recently where you know, we're not really presenting ourselves as a staffing solution. We're not presenting ourselves as a outsourcing company. We're presenting ourselves the same exact way as you would work with a Facebook, right? Facebook has highly converting marketing ads because they know what the audience wants and likes. Well, 
Cloud Pass, we're doing the same thing. We've been working uh, our own database and procuring data for five years, and we start actually learning what people want and what they need, and we use that to, to help people solve their problems. Um, and that's kind of our big transition. And that's kind of, uh, that can go on for a long time. There's a big, there's a very big roadmap ahead of us, but, you know, the concept really is, is moving away from the, you know, we'll make meetings for you versus we're going to actually help your future clients, right? Because, you know, quantity is, is great and all, but in, in reality, any business that's not really actually helping somebody solve a problem, whether it's cost, efficiency or speed, it's going to have a tough time surviving, right? Because I think the, the cap out of the bag with transparency uh, right. and, and people just can do their own research and they can really identify whether or not it's something that, you know, is a, a candy or a painkiller, as we say in cloud tech. <laughs> so yeah, that transformation is, is really, you know, now focusing more on the buyer, not the seller. And then, and then saying, oh, Mr. Seller, Oh, you want access to the buyers or you want to help those buyers? Okay, then we can talk, right? Uh, kind of like if you think about a Home Depot, it's retail, right? Um, cool, right? They, they, they help people. People walk in the store. What, what kind of lawnmower do I need? What kind, of, uh, serve, what kind of wood do I need for my balcony, right? They work with manufacturers. They help people. Well, we're, we're going to be mm-hmm. doing that for the digital world, right? The only difference is that it's not physical inventory. It's digital assets, right? So... Taking that approach, uh, a buyer first approach is a big pivot and change from five years to go today till today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I see that obviously not just with your business. I mean, all, the entire industry, right? It's a buyer focus. It's talking about, you know, obviously bringing value and what problems you're trying to solve. It's no, mo- no more about selling features or function, right? It's all about selling value and solving mm-hmm. complex business problems and helping your customers. Um, you know, mm-hmm. be successful yeah. in hitting their own objectives and goals. Um, so, so you touched on some of this as well, but I mean, because you've worked with so many different, you know, B2B companies, you touched a little bit on some of the things that companies are doing, you know, right around sort of that buyer um, alignment, buyer value. But what are, what are some of the other things that you're seeing companies doing really right when it comes to generating net new business? If we talk a little bit about, you know, new acquisition and what are some of the things that you think they're really doing wrong? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, all right. So, you know, I, I would say right off the bat, you know, if they are doing something right, it, it would be focusing on the problems they're fixing and not on the features and functionality, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, that's just from a, from, a, from a right off the bat, right? A company either will focus on that that one market and dominate it or, or spread thin um, and, and not really dominate anything and have a lot of churn. Um, you know, a lot of the companies that I've worked with in the past years that have been successful primarily drove business in, in an inbound fashion, um, which, which I, you know, have seen, you know, I, you know, it's almost as if CloudTask is like the only company I know that really grew only on outbound and probably some of my other colleagues that offer our service. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the successful companies doing it right, you know, I think they caught from a time perspective, and this is like, this is not working with like the Googles and the Apples that have been around for 30 years, which is more of like a company that's been around for 10 years. They, they really caught, you know, the Facebook marketing and, and, and all the digital ad at the right time when the costs were right. And, the, and they, and they were really maximizing the, the, the newsletters and the marketing automation. Um, and now that that's kind of been saturated, they're, what they're doing wrong is, 
they're they're separating their marketing and sales team and not really unifying it as a revenue team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're they're really not actually understanding that the word outbound and inbound kind of becomes irrelevant and it's all about the right message, right channel, and right timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and some people really can't separate the fact that, you know, an advertisement that you might see on CNN.com because you have cookies is outbound, right? Like you didn't want that ad in your eyes, you know, but it becomes acceptable because we've become so acceptable to the fact that these billion dollar companies that ruin our lives, we're like, hey, they, they have the right to put these ads in front of our eyes. That's how we feel, right? Like we do not get upset. You know, right? We don't get upset when Google puts an ad up on our eyes or Facebook. Or <laughs> we don't, right? We don't. And they were smart because they gave us, they gave us something for it. They gave us access to information, right? Um, and then, and then, you know, what, what leaders aren't realizing is that a phone call, email, SMS message, or all of the above is essentially the same thing. You're taking a message and you're putting it in front of them. And the major difference is that the way people perceive it is to be annoying and disruptive, right? Um, however, if those messages are actually written with quality, thoughtfulness, and helping someone first, it works very well, right? And then what they're also missing is the fact that they, they miss the following, right? And, and, and I'll be really blunt about it. Uh, you know, Aaron Ross, really good dude, um, worked for Salesforce, wrote predictable revenue back in 2005. You know, they, that's where they started the SDR kind of movement. And, and people just kind of forget that Salesforce had a lot of demand, right? Mm-hmm. And people were coming to Salesforce. And it was almost a way of uh, saying, hey, like, you know, there's too many people coming to Salesforce. Let's create SDRs to qualify leads for the kind of executives. So then people really focused on the term SDR, sales development rep. I hear it all the time. They're like, I need four SDRs. I need three SDRs. And I'm like, no, you don't. You need pipeline that you convert to revenue, right? So I think what they're getting wrong is the fact that titles don't matter. Body count's not going to help your future client. And what happened with Salesforce 10 years ago is not necessarily going to happen to your company unless, mm-hmm. unless you have great SEO and thousands of people signing up. So I think, I think people, re- and, and, and another thing that people get wrong is that they, they fail to read data. So they fail to really actually look at the, it, it's almost like global warming, right? Like the warning signs are all there, right? The data is there. So, you know, a company called Bridge Group, which is, a, which is um, an awesome company. They do, they do research, right? They reach out to BBC sales leaders. And look, they find that, the average SDR is going to last 1.3 years at tops, right? Um, and mm-hmm. So they're kind of thinking that they're going to hire an SDR because it's going to learn your product and then become a kind of executive. But the data is telling us that that model is broken and they're not really changing, right? They're not, they're not changing. They're, they're, they're still doing the same behavior. Um, and that's kind of what I've seen from that standpoint. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I mean, the data is so... So incredibly important. Everyone keeps talking about we need data, we need data. But if you're not looking at the data and analyzing it and driving some of those insights and then taking that data and actually those insights and making a pivot to your in your business, right? The, that's where the data is really valuable is around making business decisions. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and things are changing fast, right? So a lot of times, you know, leaders and companies are building a very, very sophisticated technology that is you know, new, faster, more efficient, and cheaper, 
but they're not really looking for cheaper ways of growing their business because when they receive money from a venture capital company or a PE, they're, they're kind of running the same playbook that their own technology is displaced, right? A lot of people's technologies, a lot of sales and marketing leaders have created mm-hmm. technologies that allow you to take the output of what a sales development rep would do 10 years ago and, and, and 10 of them, can, one rep can do it now, but they don't actually hire the way that their technology actually fixes the problem, which is interesting. Um, if I think about, if you think about, you know, the challenges of last year and obviously the rise of the, you know, kind of the recurring nature of SaaS, you know, we all know how critical the client success is, right, in terms of retention and satisfaction, but also the ability to grow and expand within an account. So we talked a little bit about net new business. What about within your own customer base? Like, are there things that maybe, you know, from a philosophy perspective um, that you're doing, I guess, that has really helped cloud task with revenue, you know, acceleration, um, specifically around your existing clients? Uh, yeah, good question. I would say that not taking an outside investment from a venture capital company has, mm-hmm. has a- allowed us to make our own decisions. And the main decision that was made even this year, looking back at, at COVID, you know, we had, we had an 18% non-renewal rate, right? And we looked at that from year one, year two, year three, we said, this is a victory, right? Like this is, this is great. Um, but we kind of took a, a, a deeper look at that. And it was ironic because I actually listened to a podcast between uh, Justin Michaels, a, a friend and sales leader of mine, and uh, wow, why am, I, why am I skipping this name? Um, forgot the name, um, but he's a very he's an awesome dude. I saw this clip, uh, and, and he talked about the definition of product market fit, where some define product market fit as like, oh, I got 10 million in revenue, I got product market fit. And he mentioned that the one definition that he liked the most was somebody who said to him, you know, when you go out and interview, you know, 100 clients of yours and 80% say they can't live without you. That's product market fit. And right. <laughs> and and I did it. We did a 180, right? I think in March, we went from 255 employees to 190 during a transition of becoming more efficient. Um, our revenue increased. And we took a step back and said, you know, we're not going to hit $10 million with the revenue by actually going out and getting new clients. We're going to hit $10 million revenue by growing our existing accounts because we're the business of revenue and the happiest clients are spending the most because it's directly tied to ROI. So, mm-hmm. you know, back to your question, I think not taking a VC money has allowed me to do that because it's allowed me to change and adapt quicker versus another organization that, you know, imagine you're a CEO and if you don't hit a certain milestone, you start to lose some of your company. Well, that client, that, that CEO, it can't, can He's not really going to put the client first because his dream could be taken away from him, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. so I think that not taking money is is, is uh, something I recommend. And if you if if you are taking money, you know, I think you know having a partner that that you know measures your success based on you know net promoter score and and customer retention versus growth rate. I would prefer better because I think whenever you put growth rate first, I think it's just you, it's very hard to put growth rate first and put put your customer first at the same time. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. 
as I think about, you know, the revenue engine and, you know, this podcast, I always hope that others will be able to really learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? Empower that revenue engine. Um, from, from your perspective, maybe what are the top, you know, two or three things that you think all revenue leaders should be thinking about to really grow their business? I think they should think about data. And I think they should think about getting accurate data. Because Mm -hmm. it's so ironic how many people, including myself, fall into the same trap of, I'm going to hire bodies. I'm going to hire VPs of sales. I got the money. I got the, I got the budget and I'm going to hire the staff. And it's Mm -hmm. ironic because think about a farm, right? You can go and get workers to till your farm. You can go buy John Deere tractors. They're going to sell that stuff to you, right? But (laughs) if you don't spend time picking out the best seeds, I sorry to tell you, you can have the best workers (laughs) and you can have the best tools, but you're going to get what your seeds give you, right? Mm -hmm. It's not fun to verify data, right? It's not fun to call a list and say, this is not their number. This is the, I get the voicemail. It's not, it's not exciting, right? It's boring. But if companies invested what they invest into employees, into data, and not only data, but cleaning the data, they would succeed in so many ways that can never mm-hmm. imagine. Because selling to the wrong person, first of all, use get get rid of the word selling, right? Helping, right? If you're not focusing on data, then you're selling. If you're focused on the data, then you're helping because you should know that this person you know, imagine you, right? Like, and you're using Zoom for podcasts. And, and then I can reach out and say, hey, I can see you're using Zoom for podcasts, which is awesome. But there are options out there that might improve the quality of your sound. Could I set some time up to show you how we compare to the quality for your podcast so you can see a decision if it helps your show, right? And if my list had everybody who used Zoom to record their podcast, and I said that same helpful message over and over again, would I really be selling? Or would I be actually helping people? Uh, and that's right. and that's kind of you know I think um, you know a, a big opportunity for all leaders out there. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. And by the way, we use Squadcast, but I appreciate that. Yeah, no, 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 no <laughs> I, I know you use Squadcast, but there was probably a point that you used Zoom, and so I was just kind of bringing it up. Right? Somebody helped you. Right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Either that's a great, great analogy. You either help yourself, right, which is fine. Which is that? That's what the internet's for. Can I help myself, or, <laughs> or I don't know why I have a problem, right? And then someone helps, helps you. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a lot to do with it too around the buyer, right? Just the fact that we have so much information, us as buyers or consumers, that we're already armed with so much information before we, you know, even look and start to look at different solutions to help us. So having that, you know, thought partner and sort of that leadership with, you know less of a vendor and more of a partner really helping us, as you said, versus oh. selling to us is incredible. So I've been doing that actually lately. It's ironic. I had, I had a CEO of a company actually get insulted that I was telling him the truth, right? You are so <laughs> used. And I told him, I was like, look, I, I, I'm not sure. Do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Take your money and you're not happy because I'll go send you to someone else to do that. And, and the call ended with him, you know, thinking I was arrogant which I can come across being, um, I call it just straightforward, right? Like I, I like to be very straightforward with people. Um, and I prefer the people who come back and they're like, yeah, you know, you were straightforward. You didn't tell me what you want, what I wanted to hear. You told me the truth. 
Yeah. Right. Like, like, and it's yeah. like back to being a doctor. Like if you have terminal, you know, terminal disease and someone that uh, you don't want to lie or the doctor lying to you, mean like, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, you're worry, Right. Like sometimes, like, you need the, like sometimes you need the truth. Right. That's right. That's right. So what about, what are some of the things, um, is there something like you, you wish you knew earlier or maybe that you might do differently if you could go back, you know, five years, five and a half years and do it all over again? Oh yeah, I'm like the first thing I would do was would not have selected my partner that I did, um, even though it was a minority minority partner. And I think I think just assuming that you know you're going to succeed and and finding somebody who's as passionate about fixing the problem as you is extremely important mm-hmm. to your employees and customers that believe in you. Um, and 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 giving out titles based on you know I, I think titles are are evil, um, and I think they really 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 <laughs> really mess uh, up with you know people's performance because yeah that's my biggest advice to anybody anybody starting over you know focus you know choose the right partners carefully or, or, or choose none um, and and also you know focus on one market and dominate it got it got it that's great advice so thank you so much for joining me um, Amir but as we wrap up and before I let you go I was asked two things. One, what is the one thing about you that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the thing, what is that one thing that you want everyone to know about you? I think people would be surprised to know that I'm actually nice and I want people to succeed and be happy. <laughs> I, I, I literally am so straightforward and I'm so to the point that, you know, I think that I think there's a commonality that people typically at first would, you know not drive with me well and then eventually they're like wait um he's just actually just straightforward and honest i like this better i've heard that so many times and it's it's becoming it's becoming you know i guess stronger as you can say um but like you know i i i guess i just feel like i'm being nice by being honest you know i feel like if i I feel like i play the game and and then i feel like i'd be a con artist and i have those skills i just don't use them Is that the one thing you want everyone to know about you? Yeah, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to feel like that, right? So it's like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. Like, I just, because then I would be a liar and I just don't want to do that. So, yeah. And, I, and, and, yeah, I think if anything to know, if they want to know about me, you said? Yeah. What is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Uh, good question. Um, I would say that I will transform sales. Um, from the way we know it to something completely different, more like the harmony of sales within five-year period. Interesting. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Amir. It was a pleasure to chat with you, and I'm so grateful for your time and for sharing your story and your perspective with us. My pleasure.